Um, we're going to jump back into the book of Ephesians. We started Ephesians uh, at the beginning of the summer, and then Cody preached for a while, and then we've been talking about some vision and some direction for us as a church, but we're going to jump back into the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2, verse 11 uh, today. And uh, we've said a few things just as a, as, a, as a whole about what the book of Ephesians is about. Um, and it's about being gospel people. And first, we are a gospel people because we believe in the gospel. Uh, that's us as a church. That's the uniting thing about us as a church, that we have a shared belief in the gospel uh, first. We're also a gospel people, number two, because we seek to live out the gospel. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what is the gospel? What do we believe? But the last three are all about how do we live this out? What does this look like in our relationships? What does this look like in our jobs and all those sorts of things? And then lastly, we are a gospel people. We're not just gospel individuals. We're not just lone rangers, but we are a gospel people who belong together in a church. And today what we're going to see in our verses is the unity that the gospel creates. It's unity with God and unity with each other. And if we're honest, we live in a time where there's not a whole lot of unity. Uh, we see that in our nation. We see that in politics, but we see it in all sorts of other areas of life. Uh, what marks us is probably divisiveness not unity. What marks our politics, what marks all sorts of things is division, not unity. Uh, and one of the unique things about Christianity and about the gospel is that the more godly we are, the more we're meant to be united. Not the more we're meant to be divided, the more we're meant to be separate and isolated. No, it's actually unifying to believe in the gospel. The world we live in is marked by divisiveness along political lines, ethnic lines, racial lines, economic lines, appearance lines. But this is not what God created us for. God did not mean for us to be divided. We were meant for unity. Uh, we see that in the scriptures early on. But what we were meant for, what we were created for was unity with God or community with God. And unity with each other, community with each other. But when sin enters, it fractures our relationship with God, but it also fractures our relationship with each other, right? And so we say, mm, you're not like me, I'm separate from you. Mm, I don't like you, you look weird, I'm going to pull over here with people that look like me. Mm, we don't have the same background, so I'm going to pull over here. That's sin. That's not what God's intention is for us. We are meant to be unified. And that's what the gospel does. It unifies us with God and it unifies us with each other. Today we're going to talk about first, or Paul's going to talk about what we were. What we were before we knew Christ. And then he's going to talk about what Christ did. And then he's going to talk about what we are now. And I love Bree's testimony this morning because, of course, I know where the sermon's going. So I'm listening to it in that line. But she talked about that, what she was. And what she was is... She was a sinner without Christ, and she knew it. But then Christ did something. He died for her. He rescued her. And now she's something new, right? That's every one of our stories who are in Christ, and that's what Paul's going to lay out today. So let's, let's jump in. Let me pray first. God, I pray that you would um, help us to understand your word. God, I pray that you would help me to help it make sense. 
God, I pray that we would um, understand the truth of it, God, and we would see how it also speaks to our own lives, God. I pray that each person in here today would be able to say that they have a what they were and what Christ did and what they are now because of the gospel. God, I pray that every one of us would have a past because of what Jesus has accomplished in our life. God, we love you. We pray that uh, you would be in this time. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, look at verse 11. Verse 11 and 12. This is what we were before we met Christ. And he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul tells the Ephesians twice to remember, to remember what they were, to remember what they were before they met Christ. And so he's calling them to remember their past, and their past is one of division between Gentiles and Jews. And for us in the room, that doesn't mean a lot. That doesn't evoke a lot of feeling, right? Uh, But for them, this was the main division that existed, was between Gentiles and Jews. And he summarizes that by saying the uncircumcision and the circumcision, right? That's the banner over these two groups, the circumcision is the Jews, the uncircumcision is the, the Gentiles, right? And this is because before Christ, the Jews practiced circumcision, which was unique to them and part of God's law, and it separated them from the rest of the world, right? It separated them. Um, now, the Jews did not mix. They did not like the Gentiles. It was way more than just some medical procedure at birth. This was a deep-seated division, It's much more than that. Um, And I was shocked as I studied this this week. But it created this this hate, this dislike, this, this, man, so much. And, And William Barclay describes it like this. He says, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Wow. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. This is the kind of hate and and division that exists between these groups. It says, until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. But this is not just like some simple like you've got red hair, I've got blonde hair, we can't get along. No, this is deep-seated division. They hate each other and this is not God's plan. God's, God's plan was not to set his love on Israel so that they would hate everyone, so that they would, you know, have funerals for those that married outside of the Jewish world. And Paul's telling them to remember this. Why? Why? Like, that doesn't seem like something we should want to remember. He's telling them to remember. We're going to get to what their present is, but it's important first that they remember what they used to be. And what they were before they knew Christ is they were divided along racial and ethnic lines. 
They hated each other. But that was not what God intended. John Stott in his commentary says it like this. He says, we need to remember, we need to remember that in calling Abraham, God promised through his descendants to bless all the earth's families. And that in choosing Israel, he intended her to become a light to the nation. The tragedy is that Israel forgot her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting the heathen as dogs. This was not God's intention for them to hate those that weren't part of them. No, 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 no. But that is the truth before we are in Christ. We are divided from each other. And ours may not be about some ritual or some whatever. It may be about race. It may be about something else. But this is true for us too. He also tells them in verse 12 to remember, to remember their past. And what not just their past division with each other, but he says, remember your past division with God. Look at verse 12 again. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, these, this is, if you just put that together, man, that is a dire situation. Who they were before they knew Christ was they were separated from God. They were separated from Christ is what it said. That means that there is no salvation for the Gentile. There is no way for them to be right with God. There is no path. There's no plan for them to have salvation. They are separated from God. They're, they're destined for an eternity separated from God. And it says they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I only hear commonwealth when we talk about Kentucky, and I don't know why, right? It's the commonwealth of Kentucky if you've ever been there. But what it means is really the citizenship, right? The, the people that belong to that place. And he, so to be an alien is not, don't think green, you know, uh, hovercraft and UFO thing. Don't think that kind of alien. That's not what he means, okay? What he means is foreigner, stranger, someone who's not part of that place. So if you're a, an alien to the citizenship of Israel, that means that you don't belong you have no rights or privileges. You have no ground to stand on. And that's who he says we were. We were alienated from God. We had no, no way to get to him, and we had no standing before him. He says they were, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. They weren't included. They were, they were distant. They were far off. They were strangers. They had no familiarity with God. They were without hope, he says. There was no future. There was no way this was going to get better. As long as they were separated and divided from God, there was no hope. They had no hope. This is who they were. And it says they were without God in the world. There was no future. It wasn't going to get better. And there was no relationship with God. As William Hendrickson said, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Now, this is our description too. This is what we were before we knew Christ. That we were divided from God and we were divided from each other. Because really the core symptom is that we were separated from God. That's our sin. And that causes our earthly division from each other. But this is true for all of us. And today, we too should remember. 
And I thought that was interesting this week as I thought about this. He tells us to remember. And some of you, you've been saved for so long, this is a little harder than others to remember your past before Christ. Some of it is more recent. But I want us to just, I want you to think first. Remember, what was my life without Christ? What was my life before Christ? It's not always pretty to remember that. It's not always pretty to, re- to go back there, right? To remember what we did, to remember what we thought, to remember who we hurt, to remember the pain we caused, to remember the, the, the evil things that we were a part of, right? It's not, it's not always good in our mind to do it, but he tells us to remember. Remember who you were before you met Christ. And sometimes it's heartbreaking to remember that. Sometimes it's heartbreaking to remember that. But if we don't, if we don't really understand our sin and who we were before Christ, then we don't really get all that God did in Christ. And so it's important for us to to remember. John Stott says it this way in his commentary. He says, For only if we remember our former alienation, distasteful as some of it may be to us, shall we be able to remember the greatness of the grace which forgave and is transforming us. And so today, we need to remember a little bit. Don't dwell there, don't live there, don't go back there. But we need to remember who we were before we met Christ. We, we need to remember what it's like to be without hope, to be without God, to be alienated, to be separated, to be divided. Because when we really remember that, we'll see how much God has done for us. Let's look at the second part. That's who we were. Now let's look at what Christ did. Look at verse 13 through 18. Verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So what has Christ done? He gives a lot of the, the what Christ has accomplished by his death on the cross. What Christ did is that he came in human flesh. He was born. He didn't stay in heaven. Just, man, I'm sorry they're separated from me. No, he came and he did something about it. He was born in human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death on the cross. And he rose again from the dead. He was the perfect sacrifice who took our punishment, the one that we deserved. He said, no, I'll take that so they can have my righteousness. And even though he was dead and buried for three days, he rose again from the dead to show that he has power over sin, to show that he has power over even life and death. And all of that, what he did, accomplished so much for us. Let's look at each one. What did he accomplish for us? Well, first... He brought near those who were far off. That's what he says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off. And that doesn't mean like 
Like we describe some family members as a little bit off. That's not what he means, right? He's saying that you were far off, meaning you were, you were distant. You were foreign. You were excluded. There was a wall of separation. There was, there was a distance and a gap that couldn't be crossed. We were far off. We were outsiders. We were not insiders. We were not part of the clique, the family, the, the power circle. No, no, no. We were far off. And when Jesus died, he brought us near. One of the things, I read it last week in my D group, right? When, when Jesus dies on the cross, right, the veil is torn in two. And this veil was this physical representation of the separation between them and the presence of God. But when Jesus died, it tore in two. It showed them what? You can come near. You can draw near to God. You don't have to stay far off. Now, it's only because Jesus died on the cross that we can come near, right? But it is a gift from God that you and I today, we read it in our life group this morning. He says, draw near to God. We can draw near. We don't have to stay far off. We don't have to, to like, be fearful as we come to God with our need. No, because of Jesus, we can draw near. John Stott says this, and then I'm done quoting people for today. <laughs> but they say it much better than I do, so... He says, this nearness to God, which all Christians enjoy through Christ, is a privilege we take too frequently for granted. Our God does not keep his distance or stand on his dignity, nor does he insist on any complicated ritual or protocol. On the contrary, through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit, we have immediate access to him as our Father. And we need to encourage one another to make the most of this privilege that's the first thing that Christ has done. He brought us near when we were far off. The second thing he says, he made peace from hostility. He made peace from hostility. Verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The truth is, before we knew Christ, we were his enemies. Sometimes we just think, oh, we just, we just weren't on good terms, or, you know, we just kind of not friends, not as close as we used to be, or whatever. No, no, the truth is, the Bible says that we were his enemies. That's what hostility means, right? Putin is, is committing acts of hostility against Ukraine. They are not just not on good terms. There is active war, right? And we have hostility with God, meaning that we are his enemy, because of our sin, because of our rebellion and saying, no, I want my way, not yours. That's provocation of war. That's hostility. But it says that when Jesus died, he made peace. He made peace. He was the sacrifice. He, was, he paid the price. He took the punishment. He did what it took in order to make peace with us and God when we were his enemies. And it says that he, when he did that, he broke down the walls of hostility that stood between us. I'm picturing East and West uh, Germany, right? Tear down that wall, right? What a beautiful picture of the peace that could exist between two enemies. That's what Jesus did. He wanted to make us one and united. Third, he says that he created one new community, verse 15. He's creating a new community, verse 15. Verse 15 says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
See, if we're in Jesus, there is one body. There is not a Jewish body and then a Gentile body. There's not a, a white body and then a black body. No, there is one body. We are not called to, to, to hate. We're not called to division. And we're not called to separate based on these uh, laws expressed in ordinances. He's probably referencing circumcision here. He's probably referencing a lot of the ceremonial law of the Jews. But when Jesus died, it says that he, he not only fulfilled the law, but it says he abolished these uh, ordinances. All the stuff they had added to what it meant to be close to God. That you got to have your hair a certain way, and you got to wear certain clothes, and you got to be this culture. No, no, no. What this says is that he abolished those, uh, those ordinances to make one new man. Why? Because we're meant to be united. The fourth thing he did is that he reconciled us to God. Look at verse 16. It says, And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through the cross, Jesus killed the hostility, and the hostility goes both ways. We were God's enemy, and God was our enemy. Right? We had rejected him, and we had declared that we do not belong to your kingship. We want to go our own way. So we have hostility towards God, but God had some hostility towards us. It's, we call it the wrath of God, that, that because of our rejection of him, there was, there was going to be an outpouring of judgment on us, rightfully so. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it says that he killed this hostility, he, he got rid of it. He killed our hostility to God and God's hostility towards us. And we can come together in peace. And he says that we are both reconciled. He means both Jew and Gentile. It's not just one. There's not one way for the Jew to be saved. There's not another way for the Gentile to be saved. It's one way through Jesus Christ. And it only comes through faith in him. He continues that line of thought in verse 17 and says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He's talking about the Gentiles who were far off. And he's talking about the Jews, those who were near. But the truth is they both needed peace. The Jews thought that their, their good works and their, their following these ordinances would lead them closer to God, and it didn't. And the Gentiles thought their good works or whatever could lead them to God. No, they both were enemies of God because of their sin. And they needed someone to create peace between them. And that's true for us today. Some people are more religious. They seem more near, more part of the in circle. Their lives are a little bit cleaner, right? They need peace too. And some people's lives are openly messy. We see it on Facebook every week, right? They need peace just as much as those who are clean on Facebook, right? The truth is every one of us is in the same boat. That our core problem is that we are separated from God. That we have hostility to God. And the only way that that can be fixed is through Jesus. Lastly, what did Christ do? Verse 18, he says, For through him we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. And so what Christ did is he gave us access to the Father through the Spirit. We have access to God the Father. At the point when we're saved, there's reconciliation. 
Right? Our relationship with God is fixed. We stand in right relationship with God. But access speaks to an ongoing relationship, right? It's one thing for you and I to be uh, friends on Facebook. It's another thing for you and I to speak every day, right? There's a depth of relationship. There's access, right? We have access with the God of the universe, we don't have to make an appointment or offer a sacrifice of some animal or do some good work so that he might hear our prayer. We don't, have to, we don't have to do anything. We have access. I can go to my dad anytime I need to because he's my dad. He's going to listen to me. He's going he's to scold me maybe, but he's going to listen to me, right? I have access. There's privilege. We have that with God. That's what Jesus accomplished for us. And so before we talk about what's next, what we are now, we need to look at this and go, wow, God has done a lot. Because I used to be, I used to be something else. I had a past, and it was full of hate and division and brokenness, and Christ did all of this for me. We have to look at this and glory in this. This is the gospel, the good news, that we've been brought near, that we've been given peace, that we've been reconciled, that we've been given access. This is the good news. Through the gospel, we can be united, not divided. And what are we now? What are we now? Look at verse 19 through 22. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What are we now? What's the point of being saved? He says it right here. He says, now we are no longer strangers. Previously in verse 12, he, he had said that we were strangers of the covenants of promise. He says, no more. No more. You're not strangers to God's promise. You're not strangers to God's relationship. No, you are friends. You are close. There is a nearness. We're no longer strangers, but we're also no longer aliens. Again, not green little men from Mars. He says, you're no longer aliens. And what he means is that, that we are now citizens. That we are now citizens. And, and the idea of citizens means that we have rights and privileges. We belong. I mean, think about how crazy that is to say that I belong in a relationship with God. But through Jesus, he says, you're not an alien. You're not illegal. You're not a foreigner. You're not somebody who's just on borrowed land. No, 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 no. You belong. You are fellow citizens with the saints. See, what God is doing is he's not just saving individuals. No, he's making a gospel people. That we belong to those who also believe, right? Right? He calls them saints, and that doesn't mean, uh, like in Catholic theology, someone who did a miracle or, you know, somebody who, whatever their view of that is, right? That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that those who have been made holy, that's what the word means. So it's those who have believed in Jesus. 
There's only one way to be a saint, and it's through Jesus and Him alone. The only thing that matters in this new kingdom, in this new citizenship, is that we belong to Christ. And then fourth, what he says, we are now members of the household of God. We're not just members of the kingdom. Sometimes or citizens in the kingdom, that may not really connect. You're like, oh, cool, I'm an American, great, all right. But he says, you're not just a member, you're not just a citizen. No, he says, you're a member of the household of God. You're in the family. You belong in the, in the inner circle. You're not just kind of on the fringes of society. No, he says, you're a member of the household of God. And this household of God, what's beautiful about this is he doesn't say, Gentiles, you're now Jews. Or he doesn't say, Jews, you're now Gentiles. No, this is something brand new. God's making a new people. Something very new. It's called the household of God. It's called gospel people. People believe in what Jesus has done. And he describes what this household is like. He said it's built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles with Christ being the cornerstone. What he's describing there is that, that, that God's new community, the gospel people, is a people that's centered around God's word. The apostles, the prophets, speaks to the scriptures with Christ being the cornerstone. I mean, he's the thing that holds it all together. He's the thing that the prophets and the apostles speak of, right? He's the center of this. He says this, this household is, is together and it's growing into a holy temple. Meaning that, that it's a place of worship, right? And the place of worship is no longer at the temple where the Jews worshipped or no longer where the Gentiles worshipped. No, it's a new place. It's in our hearts. It's when we gather together that we are the temple of God. And it says this household is becoming a dwelling place for God. This new community of God is where God is choosing to make his dwelling. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in some other city. It's not in some building made by hands. No, it's in our us by the Spirit. And it's imperfect. It doesn't always look right. It's not always perfect. But one day, because of what Jesus has done, we will dwell with God forever in heaven. This is what Paul lays out. That there was a what we were, there's what Christ did, and there's a what we are now. And as we read this and understand it, it's great to understand the intricacies of what he's saying. But the, the bottom line is this, we have to look at our own life. Do I have a past? Meaning, is there a time before Christ with me? Is there something in my past that I used to be? A sin that I identified with? A, a brokenness that, that consumed my life? Is that in my past or is that in my present? Because Christian, the truth is, when we are in Christ, that is now in our past. Do you have a past? Do you have a before Christ? If you don't, you need to hear the gospel today. Do you have a story like Brianna's that you can stand up and say, I know I wasn't saved. I know I wasn't right with God. I know I was broken. I know I was living for my sin. Do you have that? If you don't, you need to hear the truth today. And the truth is that if you identify in your sin, you will spend eternity separated from God. That's what the Bible lays out. I'm not saying that because I can't wait to stand up in front of people and tell them there's a hell. I'm telling you that because that's the truth. It's what God lays out. The only way we know that is because what he told us. 
Do you have a past? Do you have a before Christ? If you don't, hear the truth today. That even though you're destined for hell, there is grace. There is mercy. You can be forgiven. There is a way for the hostility to be killed. There is reconciliation that can happen, and it's through Jesus Christ. You place your faith in him, you believe in him fully, and he will rescue you, and he will make that your past, right? Christians, today, for us, as we hear this message, we've got to worship, right? We've got to worship God for this good news, that we are no longer strangers, we are no longer aliens, that we who were once far off have been brought near, that he is our peace, that he has reconciled us, and he has preached peace, and we have access. We should worship God for this. This good news of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing a song of worship. If you want to talk after the service, I would love to talk. If you want to talk during the song, come up here. I'll be up here. But I'd love to get to hear your heart. If you don't know Christ, I'd love to point you to him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this good news of the gospel. And even though we were sinners without hope and without God in this world, and even though we were openly hostile to you in our sin, God, you came and you sent your son to live the perfect life and die the death that we deserved so that we could be rescued, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have peace, so that we could be brought near, so that we could belong to this new community that you're creating. God, we thank you for that good news. God, we worship you because of that good news. God, I pray that we would be people that believe that. We would be people that live that out so that others would come to know you, God. God, our heart's desire is to see new disciples made. And that happens through the hearing of the gospel. And I pray that those who heard it today would believe. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.